So at the end of the sixth day, God had finished his work. And Genesis goes on and says, The heavens and the earth were finished and the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so from this, we see this, this cycle that has been uh, embedded into creation, into reality. That's why we have a, a seven-day week. And God had appointed six days for working, and on uh, the seventh day, that would be a day of rest. And later on, when he gave the Ten Commandments through Moses, there was the, the Fourth Commandment where it says, Exodus 20 Verse 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So taking uh, this time on uh, the seventh day, on this one out of seven to devote uh, to God, resting from our labors, being able to focus on Him, was an important thing. It made it into the top ten list of, of, of rules here in the, in the Old Testament. And we see also just the way that this was played itself out, that this is something that God did take seriously. In fact, there's a story in the book of Numbers chapter 15 where it talks about somebody that went and out of a rebellious heart, decided he didn't care about this and went to gather firewood on the Sabbath day. And they caught him doing this. And it says that they actually gave him the, the death penalty for this. And that might be something that, that shocks us. That in the Old Testament, somebody received the death penalty for gathering, gathering sticks, gathering firewood on the Sabbath day. But that was showing that God takes this seriously and that just being in a rebellion to what God had said was not something that was going to be allowed. Now you see throughout the whole Old Testament then, uh, unfortunately though, over and over again, generation after generation, people are blowing off God's law and his standards. And as God had promised, there was going to be judgment for this. And different nations came and they, they would oppress the nation of Israel until eventually uh, God through the prophets said there's, there's been enough of this. You have been so rebellious generation after generation uh, that he sent the, the Assyrians, this terrible nation from the north that came in and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And then later on, the Babylonians came and they conquered the southern kingdom in Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem and took people captive to, to Babylon. And eventually, as was prophesied, they were able to return and they were able to, to restore and uh, to rebuild the temple. But then in this period, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there arose this group of people called the Pharisees. And that's why you don't see them in the Old Testament. They kind of uh, arose in the middle, and they started off with pretty good intentions. When we think of the Pharisees, we often think they're, these, you know, they're the awful hypocrites that they're always giving Jesus a hard time. And that's true, but what we have to realize is they started with some good intentions. They basically said, hey, we don't want to ever have to go through this again where we're rebellious and God sends another nation to judge us like this. 
and destroys everything and takes us into captivity. So we are going to be kind of the, the self-appointed uh, police of God's law to make sure everyone is obeying. And they wanted to make so sure that people were obeying God's law that they said, we're going to uh, have other laws that we're going to have. So it's like a, a hedge before you even get to the law so that you don't uh, break that. And there can be some wisdom in that. There's no point getting right up to the edge, as close as you can get to sin. But the problem is, after time, their, their hedges became more important than God's actual law. And they took a lot of pride in the way they were able to keep this, these laws. So with all that in mind, we turn to Luke chapter 6. And the first point, we're going to be reading 1 through 16 today. And the first point we're going to see is that the disciples, they get in trouble for picking grain on the Sabbath. All right, so let's read verses 1 through 5 together. On a Sabbath, and notice it starts like that because that's the important thing that sets this all up. While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's stop here and look at that. So we see that the, the first problem, the thing that sets the stage for this, is this was happening on the Sabbath, uh, which at the time was from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So it was the, the seventh day. And so they were, at this point, they were, they were traveling. We don't know how far they were going, but they were uh, either going through a grain field or, or next to it, and they were starting to take some of the grain uh, from, from the field, and they were rubbing in their hands to get the, the, the shell and the husk and everything off, and then they were, they were eating it. And some of the Pharisees, they must have been watching this, see what was going on, and you know, basically you know, pounced on them and said, Oh, busted! Okay, we see what you're doing here, and you are in violation of God's law. You are doing something that's unlawful. Now for us, maybe the first thing we think that what they're doing wrong is, well, they're stealing grain. We think this would be like, you, you can't just go you know, walking through somebody's you know, apple orchard and taking what you want. That's, that's stealing. But actually, that's not what the issue is. Because there was a provision in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25, that actually allowed for some of this to happen. That if you were going through uh, in your travels or, or whatever, through an orchard, it said you could take and you could, you could eat some of, uh, some of the fruit. If you're going through a field, you could do this you could take some of the grain and you could eat it. The things you could not do, you could not just go wholesale harvesting like somebody else's crop. So it says you can't you know, take a sickle and start you know, actually harvesting their grain. And it says you can't like, have a bag with you where you start you know, collecting it and putting it in. That would be wrong. That would be stealing. But if you're just taking a little as you're going through, that was actually okay according to the Old Testament law. So that part wasn't the problem. The problem is that they were doing this on the Sabbath. And so, according to the Pharisees and the way that they had interpreted the law, these disciples were breaking at least, they said, four different things because they were working 
on the Sabbath by doing this. So, because uh, in the, the Mishnah, which is some uh, Old Testament commentary on the Old Testament, that's uh, not actually part of Scripture, it lists, they listed 39 different activities that were not allowed on the Sabbath. And they said the disciples, they were actually guilty of four of these. They were, they were reaping, they were threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. Because they said, well, you're plucking the grain. That's like you're going and you're reaping. You're doing a harvest. Okay? Now remember, too, they, just, they took a few off the stock, and then they were rubbing them, getting the, the chaff off, and they said, well, that's like, that's like um, threshing and winnowing. Um, normally when they do that, you know, they would have the big grain in a pile and they would be beating it to get the, the husk off and throwing it in the air and it was a big involved thing and you weren't supposed to be doing that. But they said, well, basically you're doing the same thing here, aren't you? And then you're preparing food by, by putting it in your mouth. So a uh, lot of work going on there. So they said, you are in violation of the law. So they were definitely uh, nitpicking here, but according to their interpretation, hey, Jesus and your disciples, you're guilty. So Jesus, he responds to them, and he says, hey, haven't you read, he's pointing to Scripture, what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him. So there's, he points to this story in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21, and David, he had been anointed already as the, the king of Israel, uh, but Saul was still on the throne, and Saul was seeking his life, seeking to kill him. And so David was on the run, him and his men. And so at one point, David comes into the, uh, the tabernacle, and he asks the priest there, uh, Bimelech, to give him some food. He said, give me some, some bread for me and for my men. And Abimelech says that he didn't have any just regular bread to give him. He said, all we have is we have the bread of the presence. Now what that was is in the tabernacle, in the, the holy place, there was uh, a few different items. Okay, so there was a lampstand, uh, there was the altar of incense, and there, there was this table uh, with the bread of the presence. And it was called that because this bread was placed in the holy place in the presence of God. So it was sacred holy bread. And they would put it in there. There were 12 loaves that were arranged uh, six and, and six, and every Sabbath, they would put in, uh, it was uh, flatbread, they would put it in there um, unleavened, and it would be there for a week, and then at the end, they would replace it with new bread, and the old bread was to be taken out, but it was only supposed to be eaten by the priests, specifically those that were descendant of, of Aaron. It was for them, according to the Old Testament law. So that's what Abimelech is saying. He's saying, I don't have any regular bread, we just, any common bread, we just have this, this holy bread, and, but he ends up giving it to, he asks if the, uh, David's men were ceremoniously clean, and they said yes, and so he gave it to them and allowed them to, to eat this. Which, by the way, if you read the story too, he also gives him uh, Goliath's sword to, to arm him. And actually, at the, in the next chapter, Saul finds out about this and has the, the priests slaughtered for helping out David in doing this. So Jesus is pointing back to this incident that happened and basically saying to them, hey, if you're going to condemn my disciples over this, uh, this trivial matter, this nitpicking, then will you also condemn David and his men? Is that what you are willing to do? 
And we don't know all the ins and outs of, there are things that made, you know, David's situation a little bit different. I mean, King David was the, was the anointed king. This was also a kind of a life and death situation. And it's also um, a little bit ambiguous. Was this the, the bread that was uh, from, the, from the previous week that just came off the altar that he gave to them? But in either way, it's saying if you're being this nitpicky about this, you're also condemning David and his men. And then Jesus goes on and says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is referring to himself. He's the, the Son of Man, the Son of God, two different messianic titles for himself. And he says, hey, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You realize what a strong claim this was. That God had instituted the Sabbath. And he created for mankind. And Jesus said, I, I have authority even over the Sabbath. And as we think of who Jesus is, well, it makes sense. I mean, the Sabbath is around because God created this world in six days. God instituted this. Well, there's a sense where Jesus is always working. God makes the, the, the grass grow, the plants grow seven days out of the week. And there's a sense where Jesus um, is doing that as well. And there's also a sense where Jesus actually is the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath rest for all those that, that enter him. But I think one application that we can get to this is to realize that Jesus is saying that he's not under the authority of our interpretations. Hey, we're under the authority of his interpretations. I mean, he is the one that, that, that makes the rules. He is the one that gets to define them. And we get in trouble when we start getting uh, legalistic. When we start taking God's rules, even the good ones, and, and applying it in, in the ways that exactly we see fit, that may not exactly be what God is saying. Remember that God is ultimately the one that gets to decide these things. He is the one that is authority. And we all have this tendency that we can have, as well as the Pharisees, to start making our interpretations of the rules more important. So the rules are important. They are. But we have to realize there's this legalistic tendency. And so as we keep going through this passage, we see another incident where the Pharisees, they then try to pick faults in Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. So basically, it's like Jesus is saying, hey, you, I, I notice you're already watching me. You know, for what am I going to do? And I, am I going to be keeping your interpretation of the rules and your man-made additions to the rules? And so we see this next story here where Jesus almost goes out of his way to say, I'm not going to keep your man-made additions to the rules. Because legalists like the Pharisees, they are obsessed with, with nitpicking on the rules, obsessed with their interpretation of the rules. And it can, it can become ridiculous. I read an account of, <clears throat> I believe a tr true account, of a, uh, a, a church with a pastor and there was a snowstorm. Okay? And it wasn't like our little flash storm this week that was there and gone. Uh, but they had a big snowstorm, the roads were closed down, and the pastor... Uh, couldn't get to church. And there was a frozen canal between him and church, and with the snow drifting and roads shut down, he realized the way to get to church, he had to cross this frozen canal. So in order to do this, he, well, he, he got his ice skates and he laced up and he skated across the canal and, and got to church. And it turns out when he got there, well, the, uh, the, the board members were not very happy about this because the, the pastor was ice skating on Sunday. 
okay? And so they, they got together and they called a meeting. And we got to talk about this because basically it's like the pastor is out joyriding here on Sunday. They can't be doing that. And so they, they got together and they argued and they discussed. And what do we do about this? And what, do we, what kind of discipline do we need to do? And it was this right? And yeah, there were circumstances. And the conclusion that they came to was that they decided that the directive they had to have was they were going to meet with the pastor and ask him this question. Did you enjoy skating across the channel? And they decided ahead of time that if, well, if he enjoyed it, then he would be censured. Then he would be in trouble for that. But if he, did it, but he, but if he didn't enjoy it, then it was just a necessary thing that he had to do. So you see, we have good intentions can become r- ridiculous. And let's take a look at verses 6 through 11 for another example of this. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So looking at this account, we see that Jesus was, in a sense, he was provoking them. He was going, in a sense, out of his way to show that I am not going to fit into your system. I'm not going to be obeying your additions, man-made interpretations of these rules. So he's, it's another Sabbath. He's at the synagogue. He's teaching. And it says there's a man whose right hand uh, was withered. So whether there was some kind of uh, you know, paralysis. Uh, but this man was not able to use his hand. Uh, it seems like probably his dominant hand. This would have had a big effect on this man. Uh, make it difficult for him to, uh, to engage in physical labor. And so Jesus sees this. But what is also something we have to realize is this man was... This isn't something that you die from this. This man was in no mortal danger. So there is a true sense where Jesus could have said, oh, I see this, and you know what? Tomorrow, tomorrow I will heal you. And if I heal you tomorrow, it's not the Sabbath anymore. No one will be offended by what I do. But Jesus, he didn't care about offending the legalists. He was willing to do this. And so... It says that uh, the scribes and the Pharisee, verse 7, they said they were watching him. And the word that is used there means uh, they were watching Jesus closely. Uh, it means to, to, to spy or to watch out of the corner of their eye. So they were looking. They were trying to pick faults in Jesus. Because they already had decided, we don't like this Jesus. We don't, he's uh, messing with our world here. Okay, we had a pretty good thing going. Jesus is upsetting this. And we're going to find fault in him. I want to say, too, people can have a tendency to do that with Jesus, 
with, with Christianity, with the church, to try and find anything they can, any little excuse to be able to justify themselves to reject the whole thing. So these guys, they're, they're looking out of the corner of their eye, they're spying, they're waiting to see, is he going to heal on the Sabbath so that they could jump on him, they could accuse him, they're ready to, to spring out of the woodwork here. But Jesus, he knew this, he said he knew their thoughts. And so, because he knew their thoughts, he said to this man, he said, hey, come and stand here. And then Jesus says to them, you know, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? There, was, there were some teachings that there were some things that were permitted on the Sabbath, even according to the, the Pharisees. In general, uh, healing or medical work was not supposed to be done unless a life was in danger, a baby was being born, or a circumcision needed to be performed. So, I mean, I guess that's good at least, that if, you know, you're, you go into labor on the Sabbath, the Pharisees cut you a little bit of slack on that, you know, instead of just, you know, hey, well, just hold it in here, wait till tomorrow, come on. So, <clears throat> but those were some of the exceptions here. Some of them added rules and said, well, if someone is in, if they're going to die, you can keep them from dying. You can't make them better. You can just stabilize them, but you can't actually make them better. And Jesus says, you're being ridiculous with this. Is, it, is the, the Sabbath about oppressing people? Is it about um, destroying? Or is it, about, is it about doing harm? Or is it about doing good, saving life? And obviously the answer that Jesus is having is that this, it, it's good to do good on the Sabbath. It's good to save life on the Sabbath. And he's saying, hey, just watch, because I'm going to do that here. And so he tells uh, the man to, to just stretch out his arm, and he heals him. It's kind of ironic, too. Jesus really didn't have to do much work here in order to heal this man. He just told him to stretch out his arm. And the man did it, and just miraculously, uh, this man's arm was healed. And then it says, verse 11, they were filled with fury. I mean, they lost it. They lost their minds. Um, the, the word there for filled with fury literally means uh, mindlessness. They went into some kind of mindless rage. Because legalists hate it when you don't play by their rules. Because you wreck their game. I mean, if you are good at a game, whether it's baseball, whether it's Monopoly or whatever, if you're good according to knowing how to play the rules, and then somebody comes and they change the rules, or they're playing a different game with a different system, ah, well, you're good at playing those rules. And they had their rules. And they like that. Legalists get, they lose their mind when you don't play by their rules. Let me give you two applications for us to think about. Because it's really easy for us to think, yeah, those Pharisees, they are just, they are the awful people. Can't believe they would do all this. But I think we all need to learn to detect kind of our inner Pharisee. Because I think one way or another, we have this tendency in our heart. And it may come out in different ways with different people. Where we're concerned with uh, some sort of rule keeping that we have. And I think this is true for everyone. It's not even for the, whether it's the the goody-two-shoes people in church, whether it's the people in church that don't seem like the goody-two-shoes people, whether it's people that never step foot in a church. I mean, even the people that are completely secularly minded, 
they have their list of what makes them a good person. And to them it might be, well, if you donate to this cause and you don't donate to this cause, okay, you eat at this restaurant, this type of food, and you, you don't eat here because they're associated with this, and they have their list of things. Everyone does this in one way, shape, or form. And that's why we all need to be a look at our heart to, to keep that inner Pharisee from, from doing his thing. Because people will try to find some way to justify themselves with their rule-keeping. And so in church, we can do that too. Maybe we, we confess with our lips that we're saved by grace because we've been taught that. We know that is the truth, that there's nothing good that we do that makes us right before God. We are spiritually bankrupt before him, okay? But yet there can be this little notion that maybe we don't say it out loud that, okay, I'm technically saved because of Jesus Christ, but I better obey all these rules in order to stay on his good side, in order to, to keep being blessed by him, in order to be able to, to feel good about myself. And we can still have that inner Pharisee that crops up. And what the antidote is for that? It's to realize that Jesus Christ is the one that, that kept the law perfectly in our place. We still care about God's rules. Okay, we care about his law. I mean, God is the author of this, and nothing I'm saying here is meant to say, okay, throw out what God is saying. Nothing I'm saying here is meant to say, well, in, you know, if a situation, if love demands it, then you can just uh, toss out what God says. There's some people that argue that. They talk about situation, you know, ethics. And the, you know, if you can justify it with your, your definition of love, you can do whatever you want. That's not what we're saying here. But what we are trying to say is that, um, one, we shouldn't find our identity in our ability to keep the law. But instead, we trust the one that kept the law perfectly for us. And because of that, our identity is secure. And we don't have to feel like we are, we are keeping each of these, these rules in order to feel good about ourselves or to be accepted by God. We're accepted because he kept the law for us. So we need to watch that. We need to watch how we judge others and how we even judge ourselves. Whether we just cast ourselves in blame because we haven't kept up with our standards or we pat ourselves on the back and we feel all kinds of pride because we have kept our rules. Our rules and our rule keeping aren't what matters at all. Another application from this is just, are we more concerned about looking good or actually doing good? Remember, Jesus was saying, is it right to, to do harm or is it right to do good for people on the Sabbath? In a sense, he was saying to them, do you, do you realize what sin actually is? What actually is sin? You're picking out all these different things. But you know what, what actually genuinely is sin is having a heart that doesn't care enough about people to help them when they're in need. That's a sinful thing, to have a heart that is that cold and that callous towards the needs of other people. Legalists focus on law without love. And again, as I said, this isn't an excuse for saying anything goes if you can justify it with love. But it is a challenge for us to check our own hearts and to ask, are they filled with cold legalism or are they filled with God's mercy? In the last section here, 
So we've seen that uh, Jesus' disciples, they got in trouble for, for picking grain on the Sabbath. Jesus is, the Pharisees tried to pick faults in Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. In this last section here, Jesus picked 12 disciples to be his apostles, including Judas, who would betray him. Let's read 12 through 16. In these days he went out to the mountains to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Let me stop there. He's going to choose 12 of his disciples. There's a, there's a large group of disciples because disciple just means followers. Okay? So there's a sense where all of us are hopefully disciples. If I asked you, are you a disciple? Hope, I hope you would say yes. Um, if, if you're not, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not following him, I hope that you begin to do that. But that's where we have, there can be many disciples. Disciples continue today. We're called to go into the world and to make disciples. We don't make apostles, okay? And if I asked, is there any apostles here, I hope that you would say, no, I'm not going to claim that. Because the apostles were a special, smaller group, and they were, they were sent with authority. That's what the word means. Those that are commissioned are sent out with special authority. And in Ephesians 2.20, it says that the apostles and the, the prophets were the foundation of the, of the church. And so I believe they were special for that era, and you had the, the original 12 apostles here. And so picking these out, this is a big decision. And Jesus had been getting to know these different men, and there's some he needed to pick and others he needed to, to pass by. And so he spends the whole night in prayer. That should be a reminder to us as well. There's big decisions that we need to make. And do we spend adequate time in prayer? And there might be times where it's more than a, a quick little, I'm going to say a prayer and move on, but where it needs to be extended. Maybe sometimes we need to spend hours or stay up all night or to be praying for uh, periods for, for weeks or months ahead of time so that we're seeking God's wisdom and his insight and not just depending on our own wisdom. If, if Jesus is, is willing to do this, it's something we should take into account. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John. So these were the first four. These were, these were all fishermen. And then it lists others, and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, and who's also... Uh, sometimes known as Levi and Thomas, and James, the son of Elpheus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. So you see a variety of different people here. You see you have a zealot, you have fishermen, you have a tax collector. So Jesus is calling some people that were, many of them were relatively common. That's important for us to realize. He didn't pick out, you know, I'm going to go to the, the Temple University here and pick out the, the 12 uh, most prestigious disciples of the rabbis who have mastered the law and have excelled in all different areas. And I'm going to choose them. No, God has a way of picking out and choosing uh, from, from common people and diverse people. It's not just one type that he's picking out. And that should be something that we, it's important for us to realize as well too. And Judas, the son of James, and then finally Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And I think it's great that today being Palm Sunday, we think of this passage and this is where it ends. 
And with this, he mentions Judas, who became a traitor. And so in a sense, Luke takes us to, to the end of the story. With that, he takes us to the, to the final week of Jesus' life. That even though there was a sovereign process, that in this, God's, this sovereign process of picking these twelve, there was one that would eventually be the one that was purposed from the beginning to betray Jesus. So as it's Palm Sunday today, and we remember the fact that Jesus, a week before, uh, the Sunday before Good Friday, before the, before the crucifixion, at the beginning, he comes in and the people, they are applauding him, they are putting down their palm leaves, they are welcoming in this king who they think, well, he is going to make our dreams come true. He is going to free us from the oppression of the, the Romans and, oh, we're glad to have him here. And that lasted a, a few days. And so by the end, the Pharisees and the religious leaders had turned the people against him. And the Thursday of that week, Jesus gives uh, the Last Supper with his apostles and tells them he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over. And he institutes the Lord's Supper and tells them to remember this, that his body is going to be broken. His blood is going to be shed when he's nailed to that cross with the suffering that he would go through uh, with the, the, the whippings and the thorns, the floggings, and just the unbelievable brutality that Jesus would be experiencing. And that finally, he, on that Friday, he would be nailed to the cross. And that the one, the only one that has kept God's law perfectly, would be credited with law-breaking, would be credited with all of our sin that he took upon himself because it's the only way that we could be saved that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him would be found the righteousness of God. And so as we give, look forward to this week thinking about what Jesus did on Good Friday, and then the, the beauty and the blessedness of the resurrection, that on the third day he would rise again, that he would be victorious, we remember that this is our hope. This is where we can find our identity. This is where we can have our hope. And may it never be in our ability to keep the law, whether it's our interpretation or even God's actual law, because you just can't do it. You've already blown it. I hate to tell you this, but you came into this world as a rebel sinner, and each of us, we've been blowing it ever since. We should try to obey God's law. Yes, we should. But since it's already been broken, there's no way that you're going to be right with God that way. You need a sinless substitute. And that's who Jesus was. And that's why we worship him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into this world, for sending your Son. And we thank you for the perfect life that he lived. And although the Pharisees and others tried their best to accuse him of sin and to find anything that they could to defile him and to defile his character. We confess and we know that he remains spotless. And so when he went to the cross as, our sac as a sacrifice in our place, he was the spotless Lamb of God. The one that was crucified in our place to take away the sins of the world. So Lord, help us to, uh, to reject Legalism, help us to reject any attempt that we may have to find our acceptance in our goodness or our righteousness. We find it only in the one who kept the law in our place. 
and who took the punishment that we deserve in our place. And as we approach Good Friday, as we approach Easter, let that be heavy in our heart and help us to be filled with joy that God loved us so much that He demonstrated His Son, that He demonstrated His love by dying for those of us while we were still sinners. Help us to trust You. Help us to worship You and follow You as disciples out of thankfulness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.